Before we get started on today's episode, I wanted to take a moment to tell you guys about Podcorn and thank them for sponsoring today's episode. Do you have a podcast? Have you ever considered starting a podcast? Podcorn's marketplace makes it easy and efficient to monetize your podcast and on your terms. I simply made an account on the Podcorn website and started browsing opportunities right away. I'm able to connect with sponsors of brands that I actually want to promote. I absolutely love being able to maintain control of the content in my podcast. Podcorn not only makes it easy to view and pitch to sponsorship opportunities, but they also control the compensation, making the entire experience risk-free. The Podcorn Marketplace mission is to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when we monetize. You never give up any rights to your content and only connect with the brands that you choose. So head on over to my show notes and click the link for the Podcorn Marketplace and check them out. I mean, what do you have to lose? Nothing if you use Podcorn. A cult is a social group that is defined by its unusual religious, spiritual, or philosophical beliefs, or by a common interest in a particular personality, object, or goal. If you go by this definition, cults are everywhere. Oftentimes, we may view them as strange, but we don't view them as dangerous, so we don't really use the word cult to reference them. When we think about cults, We often think of a group we think may be brainwashed and capable of evil, like the Manson followers or the group at Jonestown. I'm going to tell you of a lesser known cult story today. This story is about Marcus Wesson and his children. Hi, true crime fans. You're tuning into Coffee, Murder, and Mystery, a true crime podcast where we discuss murder, mystery, and the supernatural. Don't forget to hit subscribe. Welcome back. I'm your host, Melissa Lancaster. And if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, this could be triggering, and this is definitely not appropriate for children. Marcus Wesson was born on August 22, 1946, in Kansas. His parents, Benjamin and Carrie Wesson, had four children, of which Marcus was the oldest. Marcus's father was an alcoholic and abuser, according to Marcus, and his mother a religious fanatic. Children are born into homes that can be described this way all the time, and they don't turn into cult leaders. But if you really think about it, these really do sound like the ingredients you would need to make the DNA of a cult leader. Three to five cups religious fanatic with two cups physical and one cup mental abuse, a dash of alcoholism and thrown a handful of my father left us when I was young to get some extra abandonment issues. In the 1960s, the mother and her children packed up their things and moved to San Bernardo, California. This is where Marcus would drop out of high school and join the army. 
Marcus served from 1966 to 1968. He was honorably discharged. He was a medical orderly in Europe. After leaving the military in 1968, Marcus could have gone anywhere. He wasn't married, he hadn't fathered any children, and he was about 22 years old. He chose to move in with Rosemary Solero. Rose was 13 years older than Marcus and a struggling single mother of eight. Rose and Marcus had one child together over the years, a son. But he wasn't just engaging in a healthy relationship with Rose. He was sexually abusing her daughter as well. I'm not sure if Rose knew about the sexual relationship between her daughter Elizabeth and Marcus prior to 1973. I would personally like to know because I really feel that it says something about the level of brainwashing that Marcus was capable of, but unfortunately I don't. But whether Rose knew or not, the relationship between Elizabeth and Marcus started when Elizabeth was only eight years old. When Elizabeth was 14, she became pregnant with Marcus's child. When Elizabeth was 15, with her mother's permission, she married 27-year-old Marcus Wesson, her attacker, her acting stepfather, and the man who had been grooming her since the age of eight. And I didn't find anything that spoke about anyone caring that this was happening. I understand it was 1974, but... It's just so sad that this child didn't have one person to stand up for her. He had told her that God chose her to be his wife, and she believed him. Marcus never held a steady job. The couple lived off the state and had 10, some sources said 11, children together. And mind-blowingly, Elizabeth's younger sister brought her own children to the Wesson household to be raised as well, and there were seven of them. So now we have Marcus and Elizabeth, along with their 10, possible 11 children, as well as Elizabeth's sister's seven additional children living under the same household, living off welfare, and living in run-down shacks, vacant houses, and on houseboats staying out of reach of anyone that would notice this strange scenario and help these children. Marcus was in charge of homeschooling the children. He had written his own version of the Bible. He had Bible lessons with the children from his own Bible for hours every day. He taught them that he walked in God's image, that if you had seen God, you had seen him. In Marcus's teaching, Christ was linked with vampires. He taught them about vampires and eternal life, polygamy, and the girls were fledglings. Fledglings do a vampire's bidding, and they are females. They seek out the head vampire. The family watched vampire movies and even took on vampire names. Because of Marcus's godlike standing, they had to refer to him as master or lord. The girls were not allowed to speak to the males in the house, their brothers, and they also weren't allowed to speak with their mother. Marcus taught the girls that they were destined to become his future wives, and at age eight, he would start fondling them over their clothing. 
these lessons in loving, as he would call them, would progress over time until the girls were of age 13, and then a sexual relationship would begin. You might be thinking, why didn't they tell? Why didn't they do something? These questions are useless, and although it's hard not to think them, they're victim-blaming. Really think about it. Elizabeth was conditioned by Marcus's teachings since she was eight years old. I don't know the ages of Elizabeth's sister's children, but I feel that they were probably pretty young when they were taken to the Wesson household, and the children were taught that this is what is right, most of them from birth. These people didn't know that there was any other option. Elizabeth did protest when Marcus started abusing the children and having children with them, but she claims that this led to him choking her out because of her disapproval. I assume this is also why the girls were not permitted to speak to their mother. The surviving children recall how they were accustomed to beatings with cords or sticks that were covered in layers of duct tape. Marcus controlled every aspect of their lives, from how much food they consumed to what they wore, and if they were caught breaking a household rule, the children would be subject to 30 days of punishment. And what this meant for them was 60 swats a day for 30 days, 20 plus in the morning, the same midday, and the same in the evening. And the beatings would only be longer if the children cried out or moved. These children were brainwashed every day for hours. There was a 12-year period during this ordeal where the family lived in an army surplus tent. And Marcus would at times have the family living on a houseboat below deck for four to five months at a time. Part of Marcus's teachings included the sins of the outside world and how the children were only really safe at home. The family would speak about the day that the devils wearing badges or CPS came to break up the family. They would have to commit suicide. They would often be asked if they were ready to join the Lord. Despite the horrors, the children do have some fond memories as well. Sometimes they would be allowed an ice cream social or a movie night. And Marcus had them so brainwashed that he could take the children out into the world and they wouldn't say anything to anyone. When the children were of age, they were even allowed to get jobs. I assume this had something to do with the welfare scam that Marcus was found guilty of in the 80s. I didn't see much on it, but I can assume it resulted in less money for the family and possibly them having to pay money back. The children went out into the world, obtained employment, and turned over their earnings to their father. The boys of the house were taught from a young age that they had to leave the house at age 18. The females were told that they should live their entire lives in the home with Marcus and the family. The children were so brainwashed that they were able to work outside the home and the men were leaving the home to live their lives elsewhere and no one told. These children were born into a cult.
Later in life, Kiani would say when Marcus started teaching her about loving at age eight, she thought it was okay. I mean, it happened to all the sisters. It was normalized. Gypsy, on the other hand, felt that it was wrong. But what could she say or do? One thing I read, and you should really take a second and Google a picture of Marcus Wesson. One thing that I read that really got under my skin was that the girls were responsible for washing his dreadlocks, scratching his armpits, and just doing his disgusting bidding. They were used to it. I'm totally grossed out for them. I think what I think is so gross is that they not only had to have sex with him and bear his children, but they were conditioned to attend to him as if he were an actual king. And when in reality, he was simply a pedophile who didn't want to work. Gypsy was the first female to leave the home. Getting out on her own and away from the abuse, she left at the age of 19 and was able to get a high school diploma and attend community college. She was also able to meet someone and have a child not fathered by Marcus. Elizabeth thought about leaving many times over the course of the years, but she knew Marcus would not let her take the children, so she stayed and complied. But everything blew up when Marcus expressed his want to move the family to Washington, where his parents lived. This caused some of the children to rebel. Two of Marcus's nieces, who had lived with him since they were small children, left the home. Of course, Marcus was not happy about this, but it seems he let the women. But he let them with the warning that they couldn't come back. But the women did return. They had gathered support from extended family and friends, as well as called the police. The women, whose names were Ortiz and Sofina, were returning for their children. Police seemed to be under the impression that they were attending to an everyday custody dispute, but this was anything but that. Sophina walked into the home where her children were being held and grabbed the hand of her son. The four girls that remained in the complex, Kiani, Sabrina, Rosa, and Elizabeth, not to be confused with her mother Elizabeth, The four girls yanked the boy away from his mother and started chanting at her. They were chanting Judas, and Sabrina was calling her an adulterer for leaving the home and wanting to start a new life. Marcus used his almost 300-pound body to block the door and not let anyone into the home. The mother Elizabeth, who had not been home at the beginning of all this pandemonium, was able to make it home and get into the house. According to Julie Guthrie, Chronicle staff writer at sfgate.com, Elizabeth stated, The home was eerily quiet as she walked in. Marcus had retreated from the front door and was kneeling in the back bedroom with Elizabeth's daughter, Elizabeth, who was 17 years old, and they called Liz for short. Marcus called Elizabeth's name as if she were in trouble, and Elizabeth, a woman who had led a life of seclusion, who had been brainwashed, and whose house was now surrounded by people, ran. Nine children would die in the house that day. 
26-year-old Sabrina, who had always been a tomboy. She was obsessed with guns and knives as well as death. 26-year-old Sabrina did exactly what she had been instructed to do her entire life. She carried out the family's suicide pact, beaten to her head by her father all those years. Sabrina shot each child in the right eye from youngest to oldest and then eventually herself. Marcus returned to the front door covered in blood. Police placed him under arrest and officers emotionally confirmed the worst. The children had been murdered, laying neatly in a pile, youngest on the bottom to oldest on the top, just as they were executed. Laying motionlessly in a room that contained coffins Marcus had purchased at an antique store. I read that he purchased them for wood, for beds, for his vampire delusions, and for preparation of the family's murder-suicide. I don't know which is true, but it's definitely a morbid addition to this true story. The surviving children were immediately in defense of their father. They spoke highly of him. He was a loving, generous, caring. He would never hurt the children. They didn't yet realize that he had done them wrong. Elizabeth in particular has so many regrets about that day. Her main regret was not protecting her children. Even though she had been conditioned to not intervene and to let him make all of the decisions with the children since she was eight years old. The surviving children have had to overcome many obstacles. It took them a long time to be free of the conditioning that they were subjected to by their main caregiver their whole lives. But they have come to understand their father was not a god, but a monster. The children were judged by the people in their communities for years after the incident, making it harder to cope with what had happened to them. People would see the last name Wesson on something, anything, say a job application, and immediately not give them a chance. Even though they were the victims in this scenario, some of them felt they had to change their names. A Fox News affiliate journalist in Fresno, Alyssa Sofios, opened her home to three of the surviving women. She feared losing her career and felt that she would be professionally judged, but her heart was too big and she took the women in and helped them start their lives fresh. During Marcus Wesson's trial, the prosecution had the burden of proving Marcus Wesson was in fact responsible for the murders of these children when he never even pulled the trigger. They argued that Wesson was responsible because of the murder-suicide pact that he had with his children, teaching them that if the government tried to split up the family, it was time to join the Lord. And on June 17, 2005, Marcus Wesson was sentenced to death, found guilty of nine counts of first-degree murder, 14 counts of forcible rape, and sexual molestation. He is currently serving his time in San Quentin State Prison. He's 74 years old. 
The children seem to have gone on with their lives, marrying and having children of their own. And I hope that every one of their lives is amazing. And for the ones that didn't make it through this tragedy, I hope they rest in peace. Thanks for listening. And remember, stay safe. Evil people are everywhere. Thanks for tuning in to Copy, Murder, and Mystery. You can find us on the web at www.coffeemurderandmystery.com. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we also have a YouTube channel. All references for today's podcast are available in our show notes. If you enjoyed our show, please consider giving us an Apple Podcast five-star rating, sharing our show with your friends, and leaving a review. This helps us by allowing more people to find our show. If you would like to support our show with a financial contribution, please consider joining our Patreon. Joining our Patreon at the $5 level will give you a bonus episode on the second week of the month, as well as a second bonus episode on the fourth week of the month. Or go to buymeacoffee.com for a one-time contribution. We appreciate all of our listeners. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. Thank you so much for listening. The information provided in this podcast is solely of our opinion and based upon research that we have conducted via the internet. If you feel that we have represented something inaccurately or unfairly, you can send us an email at coffeemurdermystery at gmail.com. Thanks for your support.